0: To the next section. This is mission and controversy. So now that we've seen the, and this is chapter five, verse one through six, 11. So now that we've seen a summary of Jesus' ministry, now Luke is going to focus more on people's responses. And from this point on, it's not so much about what Jesus is doing anymore. We know he can heal. I mean, you just need to see one healing and one demon exorcism. And then you kind of know, well, they're all going to be like this. Now, don't get me wrong. They're still all going to be wow and amazing every time you see it. But it's not going to be anything new that you haven't seen before. What is now Luke's emphasis is Jesus' words and people's response. That's going to become the main focus for the rest of this section. Though this section begins with the call of the disciples, they are absent from the narrative or appear merely as underdeveloped background characters. Their primary role is to watch and learn from Jesus, which is a major focus of Luke 6, 12-49. The disciples will then become the major characters in the book of Acts. Right now, the disciples are minor characters. We'll hardly see them or learn anything about them through the Gospels. Because what you're supposed to be focusing on is Jesus, words and deeds. All they're supposed to do is focus on Jesus' words and deeds right now and learn. It is in the book of Acts that they're going to become the major characters. First, one leaves everything to follow Jesus, and then they follow and learn. And finally, they are sent on a mission to the world. So the way that Jesus does this is you first discipleship, following Christ, involves leaving everything. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to quit your job and sell everything and walk away from your family and abandon it. That's not what he means. For some, he will say, sell everything. For some, he will say, leave your job and follow me. For some, he will say, you need to leave your family and I have a mission for you. But that's not what he means by leave everything. What he means is leave everything that you would make the highest priority in your life. Everything else becomes secondary to your relationship with God. And so what you do is you leave everything as your emphasis, your God, your priority, your obsession, your addiction, your hobby, whatever you want to call it, and Christ becomes your primary focus. And then you learn, 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 learn. And then you are sent out and you do missions. That's the way that God does discipleship. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret. The Lake of Gennesaret is also the Lake of Galilee. Um, These places have many names because when you have multiple languages and one little region, things are going to take on multiple names. So Gennesaret is usually what the Gentiles would call it, or Galilee is what the Jews would call it. So the Sea of Galilee, the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. So being out on the boat would allow his voice to carry over the water and reach more people. But my guess, most importantly, is it gets him away from all the clingy hands that are constantly clamoring at him and begging him. Remember, like when I stand up and teach here, you're all prim and proper and you stay in your seats. And you listen, and nobody's like throwing themselves at my feet and clinging to me, which would be really weird. But that's just because I'm just a human. And all I have to offer you is words and insights. But if I were like, if power was coming out of me, and you were touching me, and you were being healed, and, and, and all this, and demons were coming out of you, and sicknesses were growing away, and legs were starting to walk, there would be a lot more pressing in on me and a lot more clamoring. And so this is a different... So we need to understand that, yes, don't think Jesus like your pastors and your teachers and and that kind of stuff. Think Jesus as like you touch him and you're healed. So think of like the Mary statues. And and I know this is so sacrilegious to compare him to that, but I'm just using an analogy. Uh, But connecting to the Mary statues or those things that everybody just wants to touch. And that's kind of what makes it dehumanizing is that that's all they're really seeing him as, something to be touched and to be healed. But he also gets us, and he very rarely rebukes them. Maybe 30 years living in a suffering world allows you to put up with that a lot more, especially when you love these people more than anybody else in the universe does. So he gets in the boat, and he begins to teach them. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your word I will lower the nets. Now, already Simon has a respect for him. There's probably a part of him who's thinking, like, what do you know about fishing? You've never been a fisherman in your life. But at the same time, I don't think that's a very powerful thought, like a lot of movies and cartoons kind of portrayed us. Because without hesitation, he just simply says, we've been out night and not caught anything. But then he immediately says, but master, I will do what you told me to do. So Simon already respects Jesus tremendously. He's seen enough miracles to know. Now, he's never seen fish multiplied, but he's seen enough of this guy's authority in speaking and enough of his authority over diseases and sicknesses to realize I don't really think I should question him. I'm going to obey him. Now there's already a sense that he probably recognizes Jesus as a rabbi. Everybody does already. And he might be hoping that he'd be picked. See, it wasn't uncommon for Jewish boys when they were raised, they would actually apply for apprenticeship as a rabbi. They would want to be a rabbi. And so just like a lot of students are applying for colleges and they get into some colleges and don't get in others, Jewish boys, when they were growing up, about age 12, they would apply for a rabbi mentorship. And if they didn't get accepted into rabbi membership, then, well, then you went back to the family trade as a blacksmith or a fisherman or uh, a tailor or something like that. So the thing that you must understand is there's a very strong possibility that Simon's been rejected from every college. At 12 years old, he applied for all these rabbi mentorships, and everybody rejected him. And so he went back to the fish. He went to the fisherman trade, and now all of a sudden there's this rabbi showing up, and he's in adulthood, and he's coming to Simon and talking to him, and taking him around, and it's like, ooh, maybe I'm not a reject after all, and so he sees an authority in Jesus that is attractive, and he obeys and he listens. We have caught all night, and I, will, by your word, I will lower the nets. When he had done this, he caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled their boats, so that they were about to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, I am not, I'm a sinful man. Now, the key here is not actually on the miracle. The, the, the wonder is not that Jesus is multiplying the fish. There's no deep significance to him multiplying fish. The, the significance is that Jesus is meeting the needs of Peter. The meeting the need of one person is casting the demons out. And the meeting the need of another person is healing them. Peter's need is he, has, he needs fish to stay alive. And the real focus here is on Peter's response. And Peter is the correct response. Peter falls down and says, I will follow you anywhere, but I'm not worthy. He feels unworthy in his presence. So what you have here is he's repenting. He acknowledges that he's sinful. He acknowledges that he's not worthy. He humbles himself before God. And it is at that moment that Jesus says, Follow me. Because only those who repent, only those who recognize their need for release, only those who recognize that they're not worthy can then Jesus say, Follow me. And then Peter is going to leave everything behind and follow him, and he's going to learn. And then in Acts, he's going to go out and do missions. And so Peter becomes an example, despite his flaws, despite his unworthiness, of a proper response to Christ. You repent, you express your unworthiness, he calls you to follow, you leave everything, you learn, and then you go out and you repeat. And that's what this is emphasizing here. Then Jesus said to them, "Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch people." So when they are brought, they they had brought their boats to the shore. They left everything and followed him. There's a play on words here. Well, not a play on words. That's the wrong thing to say. This word "catch" is not the word that you would expect to be used of fishing. The Greek word for "catch" here, if you were to use the Greek word for "catch" and fishing, it would be a completely different Greek word. The word communicates the idea of catching it, and keeping it, and eating it. Unlike sportsmen, you see, only in America can we sport fish. Or we just sit around all day and fish, and then throw the fish back in, and we're like, that was a good day. In the ancient world, you don't do that. Like, everything you get, you eat, because that's your livelihood. You don't have time to just sit around and do something for fun all day. And so when you fish, you catch, and you keep. But this word catch actually means catch and release. And so the idea here is not only is it playing on the word release, that God will release the captives, but it's actually a military term, where you would go off into military, and then you would capture people and military, and then you would re- eventually release them back. And so the idea is the idea of a where you catch prisoners, and you make them captives, and then you release them and allow them to go back. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to teach you to catch humans. You're going to catch them, and then you're going to disciple them, and then you're going to release them. That's the idea. That's what discipleship is. And it's a military term because this is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare. And this is the kind of catching fish that Jesus is talking about. Not catching and eating and keeping but catching, training, and releasing into the world. And that's the book of Acts. They're all being released. They all followed him. They all followed him. So this is a proper response to Jesus. Verse 12, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came to him who was covered with leprosy. Now, the word leprosy is not the right word. This word leper can refer to a whole host of diseases. Now, in the First Testament, when the book of Leviticus, there's a word that's used of skin diseases, and it doesn't usually mean leprosy because leprosy did not exist in Israel during the First Testament. Leprosy was something that the Greeks would bring with them. The Greeks would bring individuality, slavery, leprosy, all kinds of stuff, okay? Oppression, they would bring all kinds of stuff they brought it with them. But by this time period, there are so many skin diseases that the word leper, it just refers to anybody with a skin disease. Now, you and I, as Americans, we're very technical people. We want to know that, no, doctor, tell me exactly what I have, okay? I want the actual, the exact treatment and tell me exactly what medicine I want. And and this is not going well. In our society right now, when people are getting sick and our tests aren't actually saying what you really, truly have. Because they're not completely accurate, according to the CDC. And it's frustrating to us because we want to know what do we have. Because we are all about preciseness. In the ancient world, they're not about preciseness. They don't have the technology nor the time to figure out the precise technical label and treatment for everything. It's like back in the 70s. Oh, you got a burn? Put butter on it. You got this, butter on it, okay? <laughs> like, all this idea. Remember in the ancient world, the Egyptians had a book of medicine, and it literally said, you have a scrape on your skin, get yak urine and mix it with donkey dung and rub it on your wound, okay? That was their idea of medicine. And you and I are like, oh, my gosh, seriously? What is wrong with you people, okay? But there's probably a lot of things 200 years from now that they're going to look back on us and like, seriously, people? What were you thinking when you treated it that way? That's the thing. We can only be as precise with what we know at the time, and that then they don't really know anything. And so nobody's like, "Oh, that's leprosy, definitely." No, no, that's psoriasis or whatever. Like, it's just it's a skin disease. When he saw Jesus, he bowed down with his face to the ground, proper response, and he begged him, "Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." Now this is significant because where everybody else is clamoring and begging for healing he says if you're willing now this is important because this is foreshadowing into the lord's prayer of thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and so for him it's not a question of whether jesus can heal it's a question of whether it's jesus will to heal and that's the true proper prayer are you willing so he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, "I am willing to be clean." Now, this is powerful. In the Levitical law, anytime something that is unclean touches something that is not unclean, or something that is clean, the clean thing automatically becomes unclean. Now remember, uncleanliness means that uncleanliness means that you are now contagious, possibly. Um, you're either contagious and, like, you have diseases on you and that kind of stuff. And we understand that, like, right? If there's a bunch of hepatitis C or if there's a bunch of blood laying on a table, nobody's going to go up and just kind of be, like, rubbing their hands around it because we know there's hepatitis C potentially, HIV, hepatitis B. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. And if you have an open wound, then you get COVID, you can get the flu, you can get mono, you can get. there's a whole slew of things you can get. And then scary to us. So we understand that you don't want unclean things to touch clean things because then clean things become unclean. And it's contagious. But the other thing is, is it, it, it um, disqualifies you from going to the temple of God and worshiping him until your time of cleansing is over with. And then there's a hassle. And we all know the hassle of quarantine, right? Well, you can't go to work, this, and da 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 And so the last thing you ever want to do is come in contact with something that is clean, unclean. You get Jesus, just reaches out and touches him. Everybody else is scared to death to touch this guy, and rightfully so. Because even though leprosy is not contagious through airborne, like, just breathing or touching, it is contagious in a bodily fluid exchange kind of a way. And in the an ancient world where they don't have Band-Aids and they're walking around in dirty third-world-like countries, you can get cut up and banged up pretty quickly. And now they don't understand all this, but they are intelligent to know that when a lot of people touch these people, they get sick too. They may not understand the scientific, science of why they're getting sick, but they understand that's what happens. And so this guy, for most of his life that he's had the skin disease, has been untouched. Nobody's touching him. Nobody's been affectionate with him. He's had no contact. And we know that we will die without physical contact and without affection. And so he's had none of that. We don't know how long he's had this, but... He has, and nobody's going to touch him. Not even the priests, not even the compassionate people will touch him because they don't want to get sick and die. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. But the other thing is that this will now make Jesus unclean, and he can't go in the temple, and he can't be around people anymore. However, the Bible, Leviticus, also makes it very clear that when a holy thing touches a non holy thing, the non holy thing becomes holy. Jesus is not the clean thing becoming defiled by the unclean thing. Jesus the holy thing touching the unholy thing and making it holy. And remember, holiness means unique and unlike anything in creation. Jesus is unique and unlike anything in creation. And by the fact that he's encountered this man and changed him through a miracle has made this man unique in the way that he's healed. And this is very important because unlike the priesthood, the priesthood could declare you clean or unclean through a testing system that Leviticus gave you, but they cannot make you clean. And they cannot cease from being unclean when unclean things come in contact with them. And no priest is so holy that it makes other things holy. And yet what Jesus is showing is, unlike the priests, I can actually make you clean. Not just declare you clean, but make you clean. And unlike the priests, I don't become unclean when you touch me. And unlike the priests, I make you holy when I touch you. And this makes him absolutely unique and unlike anything else. And this is what every Jewish reader would immediately get, and Gentile reader as they're reading this. And this points out the uniqueness. And not only that, the physical touch of Jesus' compassion is so important to this man as well. Immediately, the skin disease left him. And then he ordered the man to tell no one but he commanded him, go and show yourself to the priests and bring the offering for your cleaning, cleansing, and Moses, as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. The first thing he tells the guy is, tell nobody. Now the reason he doesn't want anybody to tell anybody is because the news of his miracles are spreading throughout the land tremendously. And as the news of his miracles begin to gain more and more momentum, it will start speeding up the clock to his death. And Jesus is going to control the clock in his death. And so some people he'll say tell them and other people he'll say tell nobody because he's controlling the clock. And whenever and the other thing is when he goes to the Jew, he'll tell him, don't tell anybody, because the Jews should not need miracles to see him and recognize him as the Messiah. Not at this point. In the very beginning, he doesn't tell people not to tell anybody because he needs to show but now that everybody knows, there's no reason for the news to spread anymore because now they should be accepting him on his words and deeds. But when he goes to the Gentiles, he will tell them to tell everybody because the Gentiles don't even know what the Messiah is. They don't even know what his plan is. And they need all the telling that they can get. But the other thing he does is that Jesus hasn't come just to heal people. He's come to what? Yeah, redeem and release the captives, Right? And this guy's major problem is not his skin disease. His biggest problem is that he's a social outcast because of his skin disease. And so Jesus' command is to go to the priest so the priest, who is the recognized authority in the land, can look at him, go through the test of Leviticus, and say, you're unclean, so that he can be accepted back into the community. Because what this guy needs more than anything is, is relationships, and the skin disease has kept him from having a relationship with God and humans, because none of the humans would have a relationship with him, and all of his humans have told him that God hates you. That's why you have a skin disease, and now Jesus, God, has accepted him and cleaned him, and the priest is going to declare him clean so that the people can accept him back, and that's the real healing, that's the real healing, that's the real release from the social rejection. Of his culture. But the news about him spread even more, because everybody listens to you, right? And the large crowds were gathering together to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. Yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. And once again, we keep seeing this he prayed, he prayed, he withdrew and prayed, he withdrew and prayed, he withdrew and prayed.